Hello, I'm Jack Parker and this is Window on the World where we ask big questions about things that aren't happening on your doorstep. This week, much of Europe suspended using the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine and the Oscar nominations were announced. But in this episode, we ask France, is the right in crisis? The Marseillaise, a rousing call to rise up against your oppressors in power. Its lyrics, a harrowing reminder of the bloody years of the French Revolution. Lyrics include, listen to the sound in the fields, the howling of these fearsome soldiers. They are coming into our midst to cut the throats of your sons and consorts. To arms, citizens, form your battalions, march, march, let impure blood water our furrows in our fields. It became France's national anthem as the country came to terms with the fall of a monarchy its people saw as self-centred, criminally out of touch and fundamentally corrupt, with an aristocracy that lived under one rule for them and another rule for everyone else. Some 230 years later, France's symbol of power is now its president, an office currently held by centrist Emmanuel Macron. He's up for re-election next year, but his four years in office have been dominated by remarkable challenges. Those, of course, have included the coronavirus pandemic and his handling of the Gilets Jaunes, or Yellow Vest, protesters. Those protests haven't gone quite as far as pillaging and guillotining, but they were a symptom of ongoing disconnect between France's people and its leaders. Macron's predecessor, socialist François Hollande's presidency, was marred by a bloody 18 months in which 250 people were killed in terrorist attacks. His unpopular handling of those attacks means he's now been almost whitewashed from the public consciousness. But it's his predecessor that recently has been making headlines. It's taken nine years since the end of his term for Nicolas Sarkozy to truly fall from grace, as the verdict was reached in a lengthy corruption trial. Sarkozy was accused of bribing a judge with a retirement package in exchange for information on an investigation into alleged campaign finance violations during his successful 2007 run for president. Earlier this month, he was found guilty and sentenced to three years in prison. Two of those years have been suspended, while the other is likely to be spent tagged under house arrest. Sarkozy's critics say this isn't much of a punishment, given that most of us have spent the past year stuck indoors anyway. Sarkozy has appealed against the ruling, which means it won't yet come into effect. But he isn't the first centre-right politician to be found guilty of corruption. We'll come on to that a bit more later on, after we find out more about Nicolas Sarkozy himself. Nicolas Sarkozy was president of France between 2007 and 2012. That's the voice of Dr. David Lees, Associate Professor of French at the University of Warwick. He is a uh, centre-right politician, so he was uh, famously came to power in 2007 with this kind of legacy around uh, law and order, planning to, uh, to really reassert the importance of the police, particularly in France, and to clamp down on what he perceived to be links between immigration and criminality. So really sort of talking about people particularly second and third generation immigrants who've come from 
North Africa and, and Sub-Saharan Africa to come and live and work in, in France in particular, trying to, uh, to view those people largely as criminals. And, and this is a way in which Sarkozy you know, won the 2007 vote, uh, became president of France at that time. And he has a, you know, a very strong reputation in terms of law and order, uh, criminality and so on. Uh, when he was elected in 2007 and went on to build that reputation while he was president. Of course, Sarkozy oversaw uh, the financial crisis of 2008, so he was a president at that time. So all of these kind of major economic plans he had to try and reform the French economy all kind of went on the back burner. But he maintained this importance around immigration, law and order, uh, and particularly, as I said, the likening of, of immig- immigrants and, and Muslims in particular to, to criminals. Sarkozy was in office for five years before losing the 2012 election to François Hollande from the Socialist Party. What's happened to Sarkozy since then? Since then, he tried to reform his, uh, his centre-right party in his own image, uh, only then to find that he wasn't actually chosen to contend the next presidential election. And at, at about the same time, uh, Sarkozy began to be investigated for a number of different allegations of corruption, beginning with 2007 and his election campaign then, a suggestion that he was embroiled with uh, controversy then and, and obtained uh, illegal funding for that. In 2012, uh, there was also an allegation that, again, he overspent and then again, in, uh, in later on, he was accused of having uh, basically attempted to bribe a what's called an investigating magistrate in France, but effectively as a, as a judge, uh, tried to uh, to bribe them to give him information about how the, the, the trial or the investigation into the first allegation was proceeding. And this is what's kind of uh, causes his uh, most recent uh, difficulty um, and, and has been sentenced to three years uh, in prison, two of which would be suspended. So in theory, another year would be spent in prison or at least under house arrest. So that, that is who Sarkozy is in a nutshell. You mentioned there that he was considered the sort of the law and order president. It's quite ironic, therefore, that he's now been arrested and has been charged and has been found guilty in a corruption trial. Is that irony lost on the French people? Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a long-term trend, I think, in France, really, around uh, corruption and around the view, the, the view that people in public office are almost expected to be corrupt. So you're absolutely right, there is a kind of, there is a double standards there. I suppose what Sarkozy would say, and certainly what people on the centre-right would say, is that these are two different things. You know, Sarkozy is targeting petty criminals, he's, he's sort of targeting drug dealers, he placed all those major issues around society, so things like lack of opportunities for education, lack of opportunities for work and so on. He blamed all of that on the what he called thugs who were running those suburbs. And that ultimately was, was what he would say. I think he would say that this is my version of law and order, is not your version of law and order. You know, so the double standards definitely around what he would perceive to be criminality. And I think what many Sarkozy supporters would say, and Sarkozy himself has said, is, you know, I'm a victim of the system here. I'm not actually really guilty of, uh, of anything in terms of illegal activities. And that's really where that double standards, I suppose, those double standards become more palatable, perhaps, for Sarkozy and more easy to understand. Most of these corruption allegations have only emerged since he left office in 2012. So can you just briefly summarise why you think he lost that 2012 election? He was somebody who was uh, he was sort of described as being this kind of bling bling president. He had very ostentatious lifestyles. You know, he wore kind of expensive watches and suits and so on. And I think that was particularly galling after the 2008 financial crisis. I think it was palatable before then, but after that, it became very difficult for the French people to engage with that. Uh, and that's really what cost him the election in 2012. You know, Francois Hollande was the opposite of Sarkozy. He was kind of quite a bland left wing figure. 
and he was just too you know he's too present for his own good he was in every kind of news bulletin he had this kind of very close relationship with the owners of various newspapers and that ultimately meant that he was he was difficult to avoid which i think became very grating for french people in the end As I mentioned a little earlier on, Nicolas Sarkozy has appealed against the ruling in his case, which has effectively suspended it. But as it stands, he would become the first former president of the current Fifth Republic in France to serve a prison sentence. He isn't the first major politician, particularly in his centre-right Républicain party, to be convicted of corruption. Can you just briefly summarise the recent background to corruption within French politicians. On the French political spectrum, from left to right, but particularly on the centre-right, we've had a number of French presidents and the prime ministers who've been accused of corruption. So famously, Jacques Chirac, who was the, perhaps the most prominent recent president of France from 1995 uh, until 2007, Jacques Chirac was a centre-right politician as well. And he was Sarkozy's boss when he was Sarkozy's Minister of the Interior towards the end of Chirac's term. Chirac was famously accused of having used uh, public funds to create uh, jobs for party officials while he was mayor of Paris in, in the 1970s. And then more recently, Francois Fillon, who was Nicolas Sarkozy's own prime minister. So in France, you have the president who is the, the kind of overall executive leader of the country and head of state. But you also have another branch of the executive government, which is uh, the prime minister. Francois Fillon was, was accused and he is, is now going through trial on the basis that he created fake jobs for his family. So there's a lot of corruption, a long-term history of corruption in the French context, and it's not unusual. It's not something which is seen as being kind of uh, in any way uh, having a kind of detrimental impact on the, the candidates or the politicians involved. It did mean, for François Fillon, it meant that he didn't win the presidential election in 2017. He came third, and he had been predicted to win that election by, by some way. So it impacted on his chance of becoming president. But ultimately, in terms of things like his actual public opinion standings and so on, amongst his core vote, uh, those have always stayed quite steady. You know, there's, there's sort of core support to these people. So actually, really, what we're looking at is the idea that when it comes from the other side of the political spectrum, then there's kind of controversy in this discussion. But actually, if it's your own camp, then actually you're probably quite happy with the way your candidate has, has acted. Uh, arguably, the three most important figures in French conservatism of the 21st century have all been found guilty of corruption. Do you now think there's an intrinsic association in the French mindset between the Républicain party and corruption? And do you think whether there is that association or not, do you now think the party is less electable because of it? I don't actually think there is, no. I think that the, um, as we saw, I was sort of discussed before, I think that most, for the most part, there's almost an expectation on the part of the French people that there will be corruption in political office. There will be a certain level of corruption, a certain level of sort of double standards. And I, and I actually think there's something about the French mindset here, in particular around the long-term history of France and the kind of recent past, that means that that's palatable in a way it's not in other countries. And I think that's that's really crucial. You know, much like if you look at, say, Donald J. Trump supporters in the US, you know, so he is overwhelmingly popular still amongst that core group of, of voters. That hasn't changed anything. His support has grown stronger, you know, particularly with the accusations that he kind of incited the riots in, uh, in Washington in early January. And that's kind of the same with Sarkozy, I would say, is that actually he, he might now have been found guilty of corruption doesn't necessarily diminish his standings amongst his own electorate. 
the current president, Emmanuel Macron, isn't either centre-left or centre-right, he's a centrist figure, he, he doesn't stand for either party. So the centre-left is in complete disarray because of the, um, the former president, François Hollande, and his kind of quite woeful handling, really, of the economic crisis. And as a result, they're, they're not really a party to be thinking about for long-term kind of power. But for the, for the Republican Party, they've emerged out of a long-term trend from Jacques Chirac onwards, and before that, back to Charles de Gaulle, the, the founding president of the, fifth, the current Fifth Republic in France. So there's a long-term link there. I don't think amongst Sarkozy's supporters and you know, amongst right-wing supporters, it's done anything to damage the party reputation. It might even have enhanced the reputation of the party, because it's something interesting, it's innovative, it's a bit unusual, uh, in a way that actually, previous to Sarkozy and Fillon, that party had uh, figures who were perhaps not very interesting or perhaps a bit bland. I don't really think it's done that much to damage the, the centre-right's credibility. What I do think is that it gives ammunition to opponents, particularly to Macron and to Marine Le Pen. I really do think it's going to be a two-horse race again between Emmanuel Macron on the one hand and Marine Le Pen on the other. So I don't really think that there's any major damage, but I really don't think it's done that much to win over supporters from beyond the centre-right. Well, as you mentioned before, François Fillon was initially, the very, very early days of the 2017 campaign, was the favourite to win the presidency. Then the so-called Penelope Gate scandal, as you mentioned, came out and sort of essentially ruined his chances. And Macron sort of changed places with him. He then became the favourite alongside Marine Le Pen. Do you think we've only now got Emmanuel Macron because of the Penelope Gate corruption scandal with Fillon? No, I think Macron probably would have won anyway, if you think about it, because he he came out of nowhere. He he allowed himself to be positioned as an outsider. You know, of course, Macron, like everybody else on, in any role in French politics, is not an outsider. He, you know, he, he won because of that, really. He won because he wasn't centre-right, he wasn't centre-left, and because he appeared to be an outsider. And, what you know, when it came to that head-to-head debate between Le Pen and Macron in the, um, before the second round of the election uh, in 2017, you know, Macron won that debate partly because he played to his core strengths. He was, you know, positioned himself as being a moderate centrist and so on, whereas Le Pen went further to the right and tried to, you know, win over her base supporters but lost out on gaining any kind of floating voters. I think, uh, ultimately, Le Pen... It wasn't going to be her year anyway. It was a bit too soon for uh, for Le Pen family or or for the the now Rassemblement National Party on the extreme right to win power. Uh, But Fillon might have been there instead. You you may have seen a Macron-Fillon runoff instead of a a Macron-Le Pen runoff. I don't think Fillon would have won simply because he was was always going to necessarily need to play to the far right uh, if he was up against Macron. Macron would have played more to the left, I think, if he'd been up against Fillon. Um, and as a result, you know, I think he would, Fionn would have lost out simply because he would have necessarily had to become more extreme. Sorry, you mentioned um, Marine Le Pen there, and she is obviously now one of the, the other big figure on the French right. She's, of, of course, further right than um, than the Republican Party. Cast our minds back to 2002, her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, made it to the second round of the vote and completely horrified the vast majority of France because he was a Holocaust denier. He said in the 80s, he said people with HIV should hide away. He was a horrible uh, racist. How then have they gone from the outrage of 2002 to being quite accepted and now potentially challenging for the presidency in 2022? Because it's only 20 years. So how has she managed to make the the Rassemblement National, as they're now called, more electable? So when... Marie Le Pen came in, um, she got rid of a lot of Jean-Marie Le Pen's former lieutenants and, and appointed her own. Uh, Le Pen has really tried to kind of assert this idea that the party is a party for everybody, it's not sort of a party for 
the extreme rights party that's open to anybody from across the political spectrum. She's trying to appeal to some of the populist ideas of, of the left wing, particularly the extreme left. So things like trying to, uh, you know, increase the national wage, trying to uh, improve st working standards for French people, while also um, campaigning on this kind of anti-European Union stance. So a lot of what Le Pen's done is try to make the, the, the policies and the approach of the party seem more palatable to voters. You know, crucially, lots of the underlying racism that you talked about before, it's never never termed as, as racism in a French context. There's always this idea of cultural, sort of educational pri sort of priority and, um, and seniority and so on, but actually it is racism. Um, you know, cloaked in these ideas around secularism as well. Uh, a lot of that is still there, but Le Pen is, is trying to kind of almost shove it under the carpet a little bit to make it less visible to people and has therefore tried to become more possible by ignoring that but playing to other ideas. So what's happened in 20 years since is that society has changed. As I say, people have been more, more accustomed perhaps to, to immigrants and Le Pen's rhetoric has changed more to become less overtly hostile towards, you know, kind of more established immigrants and more hostile towards uh, European migrants. And so we see a trend in terms of who votes for the far right now as well, uh, with more people from, you know, second or third generation migrants from North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, now actually voting for Le Pen in a way they never would have done 20 years ago, trying to keep out the next wave of migrants. So a lot's changed really, and it's, it's a very complex picture. I think it's one that means ultimately it's kind of more credible for someone like Marine Le Pen to come and stand as a, as a presidential candidate. Do you think the softening of Rassemblement National policies from Le Pen has come at the expense of support for the Républicains? Do you think she's tapping away at their support for her own benefit and is therefore making a party that is already seen as quite corrupt even less electable? Is that another element that's that's harming them? I think what the, the centre-right really needs is someone who is going to sort of stand on a largest similar ticket to Le Pen and try and take some of that vote back. That's obviously not, not what's happened. I mean, Fillon, as I say, began very well in that campaign in 2017. He began by sort of marking out his territory, appealing to the Catholic vote in particular, really emphasising the idea that, you know, actually France was being too uh, apologetic about the empire. It should have been proud of the empire. And we know that historically, um, in the 1930s and 1940s at least, the overwhelming public opinion was in favour of the empire. You know, whereas now in the 21st century, it's completely impossible to say the empire was a positive thing. I mean, it did, you know, there, there were things that clearly the empire did, uh, which French people would claim were positive, like education and, and rail, roads and railways and so on. But it came at the expense of the people living in those countries to begin with, which is something which is always, nearly always neglected in French scholarship of the empire. And what, of course, Fionn tried to do was saying, you know, forget those worries, forget the fact that France committed crimes against humanity in many of these colonies and imposed this racist system of education. Forget all that. Actually, we've got quite a lot to be proud of. And that was something which could well have, you know, kind of marked out his position in opposition to, uh, to Le Pen. And, you know, it nearly worked. But you still you think about someone who, who could come in now, if, someone, if they can get somebody to come in and take over and say, you know, these are the policies that I think we're going to take forward as a party, which will take some of that ground back from the RN, then that could work really well. Unfortunately, I can't see that happening. I think you're quite right when you frame that question as being, you know, is it because of the, the far right? Is it because of the Hassan national that the, the support for the centre-right has declined? Yes, I think it probably is. You know, it's a combination of quite poor leadership, combination of, of candidates who have been kind of unsuitable for the role in the end, you know, for corruption reasons or whatever. Uh, and also because they and that the far right has taken some of that credibility when it comes to things like immigration, law and order and so on. You know, after 2002, Jean-Marie Le Pen should have pushed on a you know, potentially campaign again and nearly, nearly got through again in 2007, but he didn't because Sarkozy took all of his policies more or less en masse and used them against Le Pen. 
So as a result, in, the, in that head-to-head runoff in 2007, we don't see Jean-Marie Le Pen standing for election in that second round. Instead, we see Ségolène Royal of the Socialists and Nicolas Sarkozy of the centre-right. And of course, Sarkozy wins because he has all this kind of far-right idea around immigration, law and order, national identity, and puts that all into the, uh, into the mix, taking the ground from the centre, from the far-right. Given, as you mentioned, the left is in complete disarray, it's all fractured, given how unpopular Macron is relatively because of his handling of the pandemic, because of the Gilets Jaunes protesters, how therefore are the right not in power? And does that mean, to return to the question at the top of the episode title, is the right in crisis? It's very difficult to say, you know, that the the right should be in power because there are a number of different factors, like we said already, you know, there's a number of different issues there. There's the the centre-left, as you said, okay, centre-left is in complete disarray, clearly. But Macron's taken a lot of that ground when he was elected anyway. So he kind of, you know, he came from having served as economics minister under Hollande. He wasn't elected into that he wasn't like a, a member of parliament, but he was a, a unelected figure in that role in government. So he had a connection to the Socialist Party before, and he decided not to go and try and challenge Hollande on his own turf uh, to become the Socialist candidate, but to stand as an independent. And then he crafted this narrative about being an outsider. That is one issue, you know. So ultimately, the left almost kind of gave itself over to Macron en masse to try and compete against uh, Marine Le Pen. On the other hand, as I say, you've got this presence of Marine Le Pen, which is, is very important to, to think about, the fact that we have a very strong far-right party in France, one which is, you know, currently the major opposition party in the French National Assembly in its parliament, and um, which stands in the way of uh, the centre-right, as we've already established. The centre-right also lacks, you know, clarity, leadership, foresight, and so on, which is, is all very important. So I, I actually don't, I don't think the right is in crisis, <laughs> But I think there's a lot of ground needs to be needs to be sort of made up now by the centre right to be able to get re-elected when the time comes. And I can't see I say I can't see it happening in 2022 simply because I think again that would be a head-to-head runoff between Macron and Le Pen. What the centre right really needs to target is you know the, the following election. Really, there are barriers there that it needs to overcome. So it needs to overcome uh, Macron the fact that he has he is kind of largely cornered the centre market to some extent the centre left but also the, the centre right. The fact that the, uh, Le Pen has taken a lot of ground um, to, the, to the extreme of the, the centre-right party. Uh, and also the fact that there are other, other movements in France that have some relevance and some importance, like the extreme left. What I would say is that there's, it's not really, um, as I say, it's not fair to say they should be in power, but it is fair to say that they have ultimately failed over the last few years to kind of really build on the momentum of Sarkozy in 2007. And, and since then, because they failed really to get their act together since, uh, since Sarkozy left in 2012, ultimately that's really been their downfall. They haven't really planned for that long-term vision. There's been too much infighting between different candidates. There's been, as we've established, been various allegations of corruption, some of which of course have not been proven. Um, all that means that you know the centre-right, although not in crisis, there's certainly a lot they, they now need to do. So what does the centre-right now need to do to get back into power? What it needs is it needs, you know, clear leadership. It needs to have a vision for the future of France, which challenges the Rassemblement National. So it might be taking some of its territory away from it. It might also be looking at some of its economic policies and seeking to take those as well, but also chips into, into Macron on the centre and even looks across to the disenfranchised on the far left as well. There's a lot that it needs to be doing. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, 
as I say, I wouldn't suggest that the centre-right or indeed its chosen candidate will win in 2020. I don't even think they'll make it through to the second round of the election. They may do quite well in the National Assembly uh, elections, depending on how well Marine Le Pen does uh, in the presidential election. But looking ahead to the following election, that's where really, you know, things could get very, very interesting. That's it for this episode. A massive thank you to Dr David Lees for taking the time to speak to us. If you're interested in European affairs, why not listen back to our episode on German politics? Remember to like, subscribe, comment. We'd love to hear from you. But for now, thank you very much for listening.